Welcome back to Generals and Napoleon, episode 60, French General Jean Rignet. Before we begin, I'd like to remind all of our listeners that if you'd like to support our podcast monetarily, or if you just want bonus content, please go to patreon.com forward slash generals and Napoleon, where you'll find bonus ad-free content to our wonderful podcast. As always, we thank you for listening and we appreciate your support. Now, on with the show. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We have a special guest once again, our good friend, Charles McKay, joining us. Hey, Charles, how are you? Good, John. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, thanks for joining the call again. And uh, if th- for those of you who are unfamiliar with Charles, he's been on uh, previous episodes. He's a fantastic guest. Uh, his Twitter handle is Bubbles the Vampire. And he is a graduate from the University of Arkansas, as well as the Florida State University Institute of French Revolutionary and Napoleonic Studies. So we love having him on. He knows a lot of great things. And um, who are we talking about today, Charles? Uh, We are talking about uh, French General Jean Rignier. Jean Rignier, not Rainier, as I call him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, I hear you. You're in <laughs> English pronunciation and, and yeah. the French would say Renier. But Renier. I, I think if 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 you said Rainier, uh, having lived in Washington State myself, I don't think <laughs> any, uh, people would, would uh, uh, not know who you were talking about. So got it. Got it. OK. <laughs> um, so Jean was born in January 1771. And I think it's Lausanne, Switzerland. Yep, that's right. And his father was a physician. His brother was an archaeologist. So he came from a very educated family. Yep. Amen. What do we know of his upbringing? Uh, so he, his family was uh, French Protestants, French Huguenots, who uh, ha- uh, fled France uh, and settled in, in Calvinist uh, Switzerland. Um, mm-hmm. And his family was a prosperous uh, middle-class family. As you mentioned, his dad was a physician. His brother had enough education to become a naturalist and archaeologist. In fact, he he served in several governmental posts, uh, both in Egypt and in Naples uh, mm-hmm. under, the, under the French. Uh, and, and this was not unusual. As you know, Napoleon took a bunch of savants with him to, uh, uh, to Egypt. To, yep. Right. Absolutely. So, uh, and and Napoleon was well disposed to scientists who were doing natural things mm-hmm. um, he wasn't napoleon wasn't crazy about abstract thinkers he liked the hard he, he, yeah he liked facts and mathematics and that yep. kind of thing absolutely yeah. yep yeah. yep and so uh, you know renier had a good education with his family 
and, and originally it looked like he might go into engineering, civil engineering, what we today we would call uh, civil engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the uh, when the revolution took off and 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 gained some some momentum, one of the changes they had made was to essentially grant amnesty for the defendant uh, descendants of, of French Huguenots who had left. Mm. Uh, that they were able to come back into France, and so uh, Renier starts to to go to school uh, in France. Yeah, but uh, it's interesting. The French Revolution is kind of going on at this point, and instead of becoming a civil engineer, uh, he did, opts to join the French army as an artillery gunner in 1792. What is the history of Swiss troops serving in the French military? I know the history of the Swiss guards protecting the French kings. Is that a centuries old thing like what what started that yeah that's a centuries old thing uh and, and to be precise i do not know exactly when it started uh, mm-hmm. i have a feeling that uh louis the 14th had a pretty traumatic uh, time of it with the fronde uh in, in france and nobles rebelling against him mm-hmm. uh, and so there was a tradition for the french monarchy to start using mercenaries the swiss guards at that point to to uh to protect and the Swiss gave the French great service. In fact, on the 10th of August in 1792, when a mob uh, stormed the, the Tuileries trying to get to Louis and Marie Antoinette, who were still alive at that point, mm-hmm. uh, the Swiss guards were, were massacred nearly to a person mm-hmm. um, defending the, the uh, defending Louis XVI. But uh, they fought for great bravery for mercenaries. Yes, they really, yeah. really did. And yeah. uh, in fact, there's... Uh, a famous monument uh, to them in Switzerland. And then uh, the Swiss continued to serve in Napoleon's armies after and saw combat from literally from Lisbon to Moscow, uh, the boot of Italy and, and everywhere in between. Yeah, indeed. Well, getting back to Rinya, he quickly sees action at the victorious battle of Jamap and at the losing battle of Nirvinden in 1793. Uh, but he fights well. He's promoted to major. And a year later, he was chief of staff to General Suham. Again, merit and promotion really like, I mean, I've read stories where Marshal Lefebvre, it took him 20 years just to become sergeant in the Royal Army. <laughs> right. So it's just a wonderful time, I think, to be in the military if you can navigate your way upwards. Right. And we have to be careful how we say that, right? A wonderful time in the military means there are lots of people dying and suffering. But True. it does True. make open lots of opportunities for advancement that peacetime just do not provide. Right. And certainly right. the case in the French Revolution. And as you and I discussed in a different podcast with the revolution uh, stripping away a lot of the restrictions to who could become an officer, uh, it's it's really easy for guys like Renier who have enough education uh, uh, but maybe not the noble background to uh, advance where previously they could not. Right. And uh, at the age of 23, he's offered promotion to General Renier is, but amazingly he turns it down because he thinks he's too young. Do, do young officers typically turn down promotion? <laughs> not in my experience, but <laughs> I, I think maybe uh, a politically adroit uh, Renier could survey the landscape and 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 see what was going on and this is a, a time certainly in late 1793 and going into 1794 where where uh, generals that 
did not perform to the expectations of French representatives on mission uh, often found themselves 10 or 12 pounds lighter because they had their heads separated from their uh, torsos. Yeah, so, and, it's, and it must have been a, a razor thin wire to walk because if you're too zealous and you would make rash decisions, you're going to lose battles. But if you're not zealous enough and you're kind of just hanging in the back, not attacking your, with your army, you're also, you, you also could end up on the guillotine. Absolutely. Been... I'm remembering, and I hope I'm remembering this correctly, and, I, and I'm sure if not, your, your listeners will correct me. General Costine won a battle, but then did not pursue the defeated enemy vigorously enough and got guillotined. Oh, my. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, perhaps Renier could, could read a little in the tea leaves and think, you know, I'm, I'm just going to stay. <laughs> I'm going to stay at this level a little bit so we can kind of read the tea leaves and see what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Smart guy. Yeah. Well, in 1795, he finally accepts the general position. And takes command of a brigade at age 24, which sounds like a young Corsican we know, doesn't it? Indeed it does. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. really moving up through the ranks, right? Yeah, he is. A lot of ability. Yeah. Um, in 1796, he becomes chief of staff to arguably the most famous general in France at the time, who was uh, Moreau. And um, he's also promoted to general of division. A pretty amazing rise in four years, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's just the heady times of the revolution and the, the needs of the French state to, you know, protect itself from, uh, you know, enemies, sometimes uh, self-inflicted enemy, but it, it, enemies nevertheless at every gate. So France needs capable leadership and, and Renier was certainly talented. Right. But I wonder, and it's coming up to my next point, if he was promoted too fast, like maybe it went to his head because he participates in Napoleon's invasion of Egypt, commands a division at the Battle of Pyramids, which is another victory. But his personality, I've read that he was very reserved and aloof with his subordinates. Do you think he kind of got cocky during this time? That's a great question. I, I'm not sure I would characterize it as necessarily cocky, although he, he does certainly show some some evidence of, of overconfidence, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a few minutes. But mm -hmm. um, he was incredibly uh principled mm -hmm. uh, or or he certainly had a lot of conviction in what he believed right and uh was not terribly flexible uh i, I don't think compromise uh was was something that he was all that um used to doing uh so i just think he had a lot of conviction in his own abilities um and I think, I mean, it may be fairly, you could call it overconfidence, but I think he would, he would think that a lot of his experiences had borne out his, his own convictions. Yeah. But, I, I, I read that he was very analytical, like at uh, the battle of Osaka under Masena, like he kind of realized that, you know, climbing that huge mountain and attacking the British wasn't going to work, but he did it anyways. Like, I think he, he was just really, like you said, you know, he had his principles and his convictions. And if he, believe something was going to work, he would, he would do it. And then if he didn't believe it, something would work, he maybe, if he was in charge, he'd hold off on doing it. Well, and, and, and he got a little bit more, well, he didn't get a little bit more. He got a lot more irascible as, as the empire went on, mm -hmm. that, you know, by, and I'm sure we'll talk about it when we get there, but that, that campaign in 1810 uh, with Messina in Portugal, that's just a train wreck. Right. Right. Um, all, all around. Yeah. 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 Um, but getting back to our timeline here, um, he's not one of the chosen few to escape 
Egypt with Napoleon and remained behind with Generals Kleber and Manot to fight off the British. But it seems Rainier was very critical of Manot's leadership and had to be arrested for treasonous behavior in Alexandria. Do you know this story? It's, it's pretty weird. Um, yeah, I do. And, and the, 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 the antecedents of this, uh, a lot of this ill will started even before Napoleon had left. That march from Alexandria to, to Cairo where Napoleon essentially cut the corner, went straight through the desert, mm-hmm. uh, was uh, pretty traumatic. And there were a lot of folks complaining um, uh, that Napoleon didn't know what he was doing, that he was sacrificing men. Right. And there was a lot of questioning of Napoleon's judgment, uh, which led to multiple duels. There were actually a lot of duels during that Egyptian campaign. Um, uh, in fact, uh, Junot challenged Lanouz to a duel who eventually gets killed, not by Junot, but by somebody else. Yeah. And Napoleon uh, forbade dueling, but it, it still continued. Uh, and when, when you say dueling, like pistols like Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton. Or, or uh, uh, Junot chose to uh, actually offer Lanouz an option. And uh, Lanouz chose sabers, and um, <laughs> Lon and uh, Murat were both there, and uh, were were stunned because you know had a reputation for being an excellent swordsman. So, um, and what? and those two, Lon and and and, and uh, Murat broke up that duel before it could. Uh, you know, there were blood was exchanged, but neither officer died under that case. But. It was not uncommon that that Egyptian campaign was stressful like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. That there were there were challenges to honor and manhood and all of the things that go with being in the French army in the early 19th century. Yeah, I read that march was terrible from Alexander to Cairo. I mean, men were they didn't have water. They were just going off into the desert and shooting themselves in the head because they were you know delirious yep. from from yep. thirst. Yep. Um, but like you said, there was it was somewhat of uh, I guess unrest, you know, even while Napoleon was there. And then after he left and Clay Berry gets killed, there's probably even more like, all right, well, who's in charge here? What are we doing? So it must've been a very stressful time to be in the army. Well, yeah. And, and so, uh, um, Renier was, was very critical of Manu's management of, of French defenses and, and just the whole, French operation there and, you know, loudly protested, complained bitterly, wrote letters uh, to the point where eventually, uh, you know, it's undercutting the confidence of the army. Mm-hmm. And so Manu has to have um, uh, a Renier arrested. And the, the general he sends to do it, General de Sang, um, has him arrested. And Renier never, uh, never forgot that. So when they get back to France, Mm-hmm. Uh, Renier and Destang run into each other again, and mm-hmm. this is where the two of them fight a duel. And uh, Renier shoots him right in the chest, uh, shoots Destang right in the chest, and kills him. My, so this was yeah. So and yeah, this in, I, my, if my memory serves, this is 1802. So you know you're going back. I mean, this is a feud that continued over the course of of not just months but years that, yeah. that nursed this this grudge and wanted. And that- and that kind of puts Renier in Napoleon's doghouse. Well, why did he despise dueling? I know it was a, a tradition of the time if someone's honor was insulted, but why did Napoleon hate it so much? 
Well, I, you know, it's a waste of it's a waste of talent uh, if one of these guys goes down. And, and you know, I'm sure we've all had coworkers that we could work with easier than others. Right. So, I think Napoleon's take on it was it's just as easy to move somebody to, you know, separate them, put them into different theaters of operation, and and then go from there. Right. Right. So, well, wasteful. Yeah, indeed, it is wasteful of good good talent. But uh, by 1804, Renier was back in Napoleon's good graces, who dispatched him to serve in Italy under Sancir and then Massena. Mm -hmm. And in 1806, he defeated a large Neapolitan force at Campo Tenese. So things are going pretty good for him right there. Yep, absolutely. He's, you know, he's doing fine. Just yeah. muddling along. And, uh, you know, he's not in the... So obviously he's not in Austerlitz and he's not in, in um, Jena or, or uh, uh, Auerstadt, but you know, he's doing good work. Yep. Yep. And I know he isn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I know he helps King Joseph get the throne of Naples locked down, so that's good. But he's humbled shortly afterwards by the British at a loss at Maida. Yeah. Um, I've, I've read accounts of that battle. It just seems like he was overconfident. Do you know what happened there? Uh, yeah, I, I think he advanced without a lot of preparation. There was not sufficient scouting. The French knew that there was a British, uh, um, you know, there were the British elements in that area. And uh, in, in fact, Renier was, a, was aware that they were making for each other. And, uh, you know, he just did not take preparations to uh, uh, plan for the battle. And, um, you know, his advance guard gets mauled. And, and really it's the, uh, you know, some of the French units that finally held firm before he could retrieve enough of the situation to, retreat in a somewhat orderly manner from the battlefield but yeah. the french get thumped uh, so yeah. you know the french had anywhere between maybe 5000 and 5500 the british had perhaps slightly more parity or, or perhaps slightly more but the french between wounded killed and and uh, uh, prisoners lose almost 2000 men uh, it was yeah. a it, it, it was a one-sided uh, affair on the part yeah. of the british yeah and i um yeah, if, if the British would have followed up on that, yeah, who knows what it would have happened. But eventually, the the French kind of take over the Italian peninsula over over the next. Yeah, few. and and the key to that really what ends up saving uh, uh, Renier in this case was that Messina was la uh, laying siege to uh, Gaeta, a, a neighboring uh, yeah a neighboring yep. fortress, and yep. that fortress is unable to hold out. And so yeah. once that fortress falls, then the the yeah, the British were hoping that maybe they could, you know, spur on with the presence of some soldiers, a, a, an organic local revolt against uh, French domination in that area. But yeah. once the fortress fell, that the, the underpinnings kind of collapse. Yeah. Well, from there, um, you know, he serves in 1809, the epic Battle of Vagram. Uh, he takes over Bernadotte's corps when Napoleon basically sends that marshal home. Uh, and then he's dispatched to Spain in 1810. And... 
Mm-hmm. It seems like a, bro- a broken record when I ask how pe- I mean, other than Suchet, <laughs> whenever yeah. I ask about someone's track record in Spain, it's answered by poor or not very good. <laughs> yeah. And oh, gosh, uh, what can we say? about that third French invasion of, of uh, Portugal at 1810, 1811. So uh, you had a kind of a, a washed-up marshal in Messina who was leading that, although the emperor himself had had thought that he would take command of that army. Uh, and imagine how different, and we've talked in a different podcast, but imagine how much different thing, uh, things might have been if Napoleon had commanded. His three corps commanders were uh, his good friend, General Junot, Yep. Um, Marshal Ney and uh, and you know the high the hot headed and spirited Renier, I think if the three of those had been under Napoleon himself, they would not have had nearly the friction that they had uh, un, under Messina. Right, right. Uh, it, Messina was it was not the energetic general of the 1790s. You know, he dressed up his mistress as a as a cavalry officer and. Yeah. You know, that did not inspire much confidence or respect from guys like Ney and Renier or or even Juno, if he was sober any of those days. That no yeah, one, and he's yeah. fighting one of the top 10 generals of all time in Wellington. Right, so, yeah. uh, right. And, and you know, Messina had flashes of, of uh, certainly competence, if not brilliance. I don't know of another French marshal or general that could have maintained that army in Portugal for as long as he did. Right. And obviously, enduring like the siege of Genoa back in in eighteen hundred, you know, Massena is a tough, tough guy. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that another French general would have been able to accomplish what he did, uh, but you know, I, they, they that whole endeavor was just, you know, at Busaco. You had mentioned Busaco earlier, and Renier getting you know, tasked with mounting that, 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 uh, ridge there. Yeah. It's hard to imagine if you haven't been to that ridge, it's hard to imagine, you know, an, an impediment to an army that, that would be as, as daunting as that one was. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't like a gentle rising slope. It was almost like a mountain. It really was so much so that, that, and maybe this will help the listeners a little bit. When you put a tube of artillery at the top of the, the ridge, the ridge is so steep, you could not point the tube down mm-hmm. to provide any defensive fire. So the British have artillery on the ridge, but it can't help them because the pitch is too steep. Right. So right. these French are trying to assault this hill literally on, on their hands and knees as, as they're going up this. And it's a lot more wooded today than it was back then, but that the French units got up to the ridge at all is a miracle. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. And they did, and they form up, and then, you know, of course, the British and the Portuguese are waiting for them. Yeah. Uh, and there's just, I mean, they're, they're, they're butchered. And yeah. Renier was not, did not want to do this, um, yeah. to make this attack. And, you know, Messina was lazy. There were ways around that ridge, and yeah. he, just not, he just didn't spend the time and the energy to find the workarounds. Right. In other words, well, he could have maneuvered Wellington's force off that ridge yep. without firing a shot. Right. But, uh, he chose not to, yeah. Well, he got impatient, kind of like Napoleon of Borodino, right? Okay, the enemy's finally here. They're finally standing. You know, let's go right at him. Right. And, you know, well, Renier wasn't having it. 
Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, they eventually come across the lines of Taurus Vedras and just basically starve there and lose, what, another 25,000 troops just starving in disease. Yeah, the, the, the fortifications there were deemed impenetrable. And, yeah. um, right, and Messina, I don't, I mean, you know, I don't know how in the world he sustained that army. I don't think the British knew how in the world he sustained <laughs> that army. Um yeah. As long as he did, but ultimately they have to retreat. Of course, yeah, they have to go and, back. And, you know, yeah. nobody's in a good mood when you retreat. Yeah. Well, in 1812, Renier is recalled from Spain to take part in the huge invasion of Russia, and is stationed with a Saxon corps along the southern flank. So, thankfully, he misses a lot of the heavy fighting at Borodino and Smolensk. Right. But he, there's still some clashes, right? He's he's working with Schwarzenberg down south. Yeah, and that required some skill, too, because it wasn't always entirely 100% sure, Renier wasn't, which side Schwarzenberg was on. Right. Uh, because, frankly, I don't think Schwarzenberg was sure 100% of the time <laughs> whose side he was on. And, you know, his government kept sending him uh, conflicting messages. And mm -hmm. so that... that um, that posting required a bit more skill than than just, you know, planting troops on a position and saying, OK, front towards enemy. Um, right. You know, Renier had to exercise some judgment here about just Austrian dispositions and Russian dispositions and, and you know, had to uh, continually assess the. Uh, viability and loyalty of, of the Saxons, because we know famously at Leipzig, the Saxons mid-battle uh, switch sides. Yeah, and even in the uh, Russian campaign, uh, the Prussians uh, basically made a separate piece and left McDonald out to dry, Marshal McDonald. Yep. Yep. And, you know, it, and that could have happened to Renier with the, the Austrians. They could have gotten a letter any time that said, okay, attack the French now. And so Renier probably had to keep his eye on, on what the Austrians were doing. Right, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So that's not easy service in any part of Russia, by the way. Uh, Correct. In terms of so all the challenges that the French army had with the uh, super hot and dry summer, you know, slaughtering the the, the animals um, mm -hmm. en masse because of the lack of, of water and food. And then, uh, you know, constantly being harassed by Russian forces and Cossacks and whatnot. And then, yeah. you know, the winter isn't that much easier uh, <laughs> on Renier. Yeah. Um, now, he did not have to go back through the the battlefield at Borodino. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was marginally easier to feed soldiers uh, there than, than it mm -hmm. was retracing the, the same entry route that the French army had taken, the Grand Army had taken to Moscow. But right. that's not easy service. No, it's not. And uh, I think all of this is taking its toll on Renier, and we're coming up to why I say that. You know, he fights in several battles in 1813, the German War Liberation, and suffers a few setbacks. He's captured during the Battle of Leipzig, which, as we all know, is a big fiasco for Napoleon, but is later freed during a prisoner exchange. And then, tragically, he dies two weeks after he's released from gout. Do you know, like, I mean, a gout, obviously, today, we don't think of it as a big deal, but it was a big deal in those times. Um, yeah, and of course, that's a, a reflection of, of eating a diet high in, in, in fatty foods. And, and traditionally, it's associated with, with um, you know, royalty and folks that have a sedentary uh, lifestyle, which yeah. Renier uh, definitely did not have. Right. 
and he was not, uh, you know, he was not a large man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in good, good health most of his life. Um, and I, I don't, I'm a little mystified as well by that, uh, you know, by that ending. Cause it, it seems really unlikely for a guy of Renier's stature and education that, that, that would be the thing that would do him in. Yeah. Yeah. He dies in February, 1814. Um, what was your opinion of him as a divisional commander? I know he had some highs and lows. Uh, you know, he was one that that was a. I would put him in the upper tier of the of the French generals, and and you can kind of see. So, uh, typically, it's a marshal that commands a corps, but occasionally mm-hmm. generals commanded corps as well, including Renier. Mm-hmm. So, I think uh, Napoleon had a lot of respect uh, for what uh, Renier could do. Um, <laughs> probably a, a small thing, but you know, in the army of Portugal, Ney was relieved of command when Renier was not. Right. Uh, although he advocated forcefully for his positions, mm-hmm. perhaps wasn't uh, personally terribly well liked. Um, he still did his duty. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the, the most interesting things I've read on his life story is, is what I'm, about to go over this quote to you. Uh, after Renier dies in 1814, February, Napoleon writes his war minister, General Clark, quote, I am surprised that nothing has yet been done to honor the memory of General Renier, a man who served well, who is an honest man, and whose death was a loss for France and for me, end quote. I find this incredible because this is, you know, Napoleon's got two months left in his empire. He's fighting for his life. And he takes the time to sit down and write a letter to get Renier the proper respect he deserves. I, isn't that incredible? Well, yes and no. So, you know, part of this is answered by the fact that that Napoleon, even until his last days, had an incredible capacity uh, for work. Mm-hmm. You know, and he would have multiple secretaries. And, you know, he would talk to one about, you know, preparing to move 100 pairs of shoes, mm-hmm. you know, from Liège to, say, Mainz. And then the next person he would talk about uh, appointing a judge for the Cote d'Or department. And then right. the next one, he would be, you know, moving troops from this location to this one. And so, you know, that he would say at that moment in time to a secretary, you know, I'm surprised nothing's been done for Renier. Right. That, that in itself doesn't surprise me. It also doesn't surprise me, especially, you know, Napoleon had lost several really close friends at this point. You know, Duroc had died in 1813. Right. Bézier had died in 1813. Yep. He lost Lon in 1809. And mm-hmm. so a lot of these personal, well, he'll lose Juno in, in uh, July of, of 1813. So a lot of these personal losses uh, start to make uh, Napoleon, well, he was already... Uh, sentimental. Right. I, I know that seems odd for some people, especially who the people that regard him as a monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he had a sentimental side uh, right. that was consistent. And so I think also maybe the fact that Renier was a gunner, mm-hmm. not unlike Napoleon, you know, and- gave him an easier way to kind of, uh, you know, see and imagine Renier's, and- you know, course of his career. And we talked about this in the Juno episode. He appreciated loyalty above all else and good service above all else. So I think when when you talk about Juno or Marshall McDonald or Renier, 
who maybe they didn't have spectacular victories. They always served wherever the emperor wanted wanted them to serve. They went to wherever he wanted them to be. And I think that says a lot about Renier. Correct. And and I also think that Renier and Napoleon didn't until, you know, 1813, didn't spend an awful lot of time near each other. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Renier might have had a, a, a reputation for being honest and a straight shooter mm-hmm. uh, might have impressed Napoleon. But if Renier was barking in Napoleon's face about all the things that he was barking to Messina <laughs> or others, I'm not sure Napoleon would have had as charitable of a, a, right. <laughs> of a right. take. Right. Or, or um, what he was saying to Minot back in Egypt. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. But, you know, Napoleon at the same time is coming to appreciate the talents of somebody like uh, Marshall McDonald, mm-hmm. um, who provides good service. It, the fact, despite the fact that he got, you know, munched at the Kotzbach, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, he provided good service in 1814 and was always honest and, and didn't tell Napoleon what he wanted to hear. I think he cast Renier in that same uh, sort of light. Well, I think it's it, another part of it is it's easy to have friends when things are going well, but when things are going poorly and like, you know, people are like, oh, I, I need to go away on a sick leave. And McDonald and uh, very few others stayed by his side. And I think he was looking for people who wouldn't leave his side at this time. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think Renier or yeah, I think Renier would be a good a good choice for someone who would remain loyal like that. And then we'll never know ultimately because, of course, he dies uh, uh, he dies before the first shortly before the first abdication. So we'll never know if he would have rallied to Napoleon. Right. I kind of think he would have. Yeah, I think um, so too. I, I don't think he uh, Renier had any particular love for the for the Bourbons. No, I agree. Well, thank you for that, my friend. That was very. Uh... Very succinct, but very detailed. That was a good overview of this general, and I appreciate your time on him. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Anytime. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you again. Again, it's Bubbles the Vampire on Twitter, and uh, we hope to have him back on soon. Thanks, John. I appreciate it.